Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right, it's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Dr. Kelly McGonigal will join us to discuss the willpower instinct. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And our world-famous question a week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. Science show. Well, willpower is something that is often bandied about as a personal trait of great fortitude and resilience. But what is it exactly? Can we train ourselves to have greater willpower? And are there specific mechanisms in the brain that enable our willfulness? Well, in her new release, The Willpower Instinct, Dr. Kelly McGonigal tackles this very issue. Dr. McGonigal is the rock star of the psychology world, whose popular course, The Science of Willpower at Stanford University, continues to draw much acclaim. And she joins us today to discuss her uh, very fascinating book. Dr. McGonigal, thank you very much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Thank you for having me. Certainly our pleasure. Certainly a fascinating book, The Willpower Instinct, How Self-Control Matters, How It Works, and uh, everything sort of in between there. I'm, I'm curious uh, what it actually is willpower. Well, I define willpower as the ability to do what you really want to do, your big goals, uh, even when it's difficult or some part of you has other ideas, other temptations or other instincts. And uh, what's been most interesting to me is to learn that willpower is actually a biological capacity, a biological instinct, a lot like other instincts we have, like the stress response. Um, and it's not so much a personality trait or a, a moral virtue that you either have or you don't have. I see. And so are there uh, particular regions of the brain then that uh, enable our willfulness? Yeah. So the biological aspect of willpower is in both the brain and in the body. And uh, a willpower challenge basically asks your brain to remember your long-term goals, to, uh, to override other impulses, including stress or desire. And uh, there are regions of the brain that are very important for that, areas at the front of the brain, right behind your forehead, behind your eyes, in the prefrontal cortex. Uh, but it also turns out that your body has to shift into a different mode, not just your brain. So when you are controlling your impulses and, and moving towards your goals, um, you have a response that's pretty much the opposite of the fight-or-flight stress response. Your heart rate slows down, your breathing deepens, and basically the whole body and the brain prepare you to, uh, to pause and to reflect rather than to act on impulse. Is it the case that some of us just have a greater propensity for willpower, or can we train ourselves to be more resistant to temptation? Well, there probably are some basic genetic differences uh, in how easy it is or, or um, some brain differences, um, but what I found is that everyone has at least one area in their life where they feel like they don't have any willpower or, or any control. Um, and what the science shows is that the willpower is absolutely trainable. Um, and Willpower is actually often referred to as a muscle in the scientific literature in that it can be exercised and it can be trained just like a physical muscle or just like you can train your heart to have better cardiovascular strength and endurance. Is there a limit to uh, how much willpower we can have? <laughs> yeah, so one of, the, um, one of the surprising findings has been that willpower is, is kind of hard for your brain to do compared to other complicated tasks like language or like learning. Uh, Self-control 
seems to use more energy in the brain, and the brain gets tired uh, from controlling your impulses and controlling your attention. And so uh, it seems as though willpower is a bit of a, an exhaustible resource on a moment-to-moment basis. So if you're trying to control absolutely everything that you think and say and do and feel and, and eat and buy, um, you can actually run out of willpower, and it can take a real toll um, on your brain and on your body because it requires so much mental energy and even so much physical energy. Um, and so uh, what the science suggests is that while you're working on building your willpower by doing difficult things, uh, it's equally important to kind of prioritize your willpower uh, resources and um, to make sure that you're giving yourself opportunities to, uh, to rest or restore the willpower muscle, which doesn't necessarily mean indulging. I mean, you don't need to restore your willpower by going on some sort of binge or, or losing complete emotional control. Um, but just things like getting enough sleep, uh, practicing maybe some relaxation or some stress management, the things that help kind of restore the energy and and restore um, our our mental resources are really important for recovering our willpower strength. Is it good then to every now and then give in to temptation? It is, and and not just because willpower is limited. And the research suggests that people who never give in to immediate gratification or temptation are just as miserable as addicts who never delay gratification. And so there's definitely a middle path that's important um, both for your biology but also just for your your own happiness and your own success. Um, I think it's a mistake to think that we should be striving to be perfectly controlled versions of ourselves. It seems as if the brain or, or most of our behavior is wired towards uh, sort of instant gratification. How can we change or short-circuit this kind of inbuilt circuitry? Well, it's interesting because we have both the instinct and the, the hardwiring to to give in to immediate gratification. Um, we have the reward circuitry of the brain that is very responsive to any promise of reward, whether it's uh, you know food that we see or something we want to buy or a mating opportunity. And so we definitely have that circuitry, but we also have this this other circuitry that is is actually just as um, sort of human and just as instinctive to remember our long-term goals and to override the um, the reward circuitry. So often it's a matter of just figuring out how to learn to be in that that mindset of the long-term thinking and the long-term goals rather than being driven by um, the reward circuitry of the brain. And uh, it's basic, neuroscientists basically talk about looking for something that can flip the switch so that you are no longer acting out of sort of that one, that one state of your brain or that one mindset and that you can flip the brain into this other state. And there are a lot of things that you can, you can do uh, to make that switch, and they aren't always difficult. Um, in, in my Science of Willpower class last night, I was talking about one of the strangest studies which found that just imagining yourself grocery shopping a month in the future uh, gives people more self-control, that there's something about temporarily placing yourself in the future that flips the brain into this state of not being so focused on immediate consequences and immediate rewards and allows you to take a kind of big picture. So there's a lot of things like that that are, are just these kind of little mental tricks um, or, or ways of, uh, of helping yourself be that other version of yourself that actually is just as instinctive as wanting to always give in to immediate gratification. Are there other uh, tricks that one can do or exercises to improve willpower? Well, one of my uh, one of my favorite findings uh, or areas of new research is a little bit counterintuitive, and that's the area of using mindfulness to help people um, overcome uh, anxiety and procrastination, as well as overcome temptation and addiction. And that's the strategy of um, 
basically training yourself to be willing to have all of the, the difficult inner experiences like stress or like cravings or even like the, you know, the physical discomfort of withdrawal symptoms to, to train yourself to be able to have those inner experiences without immediately reacting to them. And mindfulness techniques could include meditation. They could include uh, sort of self-reflection. Um, but all of these techniques are basically saying it's okay if you uh, have, are experiencing desire. That inner experience doesn't have to drive your choices. It's okay if you're afraid right now. You can still take the next step on your goal uh, even if fear is present, even if self-doubt is present, you can still say no, even if, um, you know, even if physical cravings and physical withdrawal symptoms are present. And, uh, and when you look at the research, this is really an area that's exploding in terms of helping people with losing weight, with recovering from uh, all sorts of addiction, with overcoming uh, seriously crippling anxiety disorders. Uh, it seems as if there's a, a movement in, in psychology towards more of these positive psychology aspects, altruism, these types of features. Do you think this is gaining traction of late? I think that the new research on willpower and on altruism, um, I'm also very involved with research on compassion at the Stanford Center for Compassion and Altruism. I think that actually these areas reflect kind of a, a, a reuniting of the two core interests in psychology. The positive psychology movement said you're spending way too much time looking at suffering, so let's celebrate what's great about the human experience, uh, you know, positive relationships, strengths, positive emotions. Um, and I feel like all this work on altruism and compassion and especially willpower is looking at how do you find strengths and positive emotions in the face of really big challenges, in face of real suffering. Um, and, and so all this research is taking everything we know about sort of uh, how people make positive changes or how people find positive experiences, how people learn and grow, um, but in the face of what is often tremendous suffering. Uh, you know, when, you, when we think about our own willpower challenges, um, often there's some, some very serious, not just stress or disappointment, but often shame uh, and, and addiction uh, and, um, you know, knowing how to, how to help relieve that suffering is just as important as understanding sort of how to go after what it is you want, the positive side. Uh, how much of our early experience determines really our propensity for willpower? You know, there's not a lot of good research on that. There certainly is the, the famous studies showing that your ability to delay gratification when you're four years old seems to predict all sorts of consequences uh, later on, even all the way into middle adulthood. Um, things like, uh, you know, how successful you are, your SAT scores, even how your brain works when you're, um, when you're in your middle age. Um, so that suggests there's may, there might be some sort of continuity of uh, what's going on when you're a child to what, what's happening with self-control when you're an adult. Um, but there's less research on how early experiences really shape uh, how willpower um, can be developed in part because um, there haven't been that many programs designed to actually help people cultivate willpower. Um, this is a really new area of research where, where educational psychologists are developing programs so that kids can learn to train their willpower um, as a muscle. And uh, if I had to sort of think of the research that is probably uh, really most applicable here, it's the research on how um, early stressful experiences or early relationships with your caregiver. You know, do you feel supported by your parents or your caregivers? Do you feel safe at home? Um, 
there's there's a lot of research suggesting that that kids who don't feel safe growing up are much more susceptible to issues around impulse control and addiction. And I think in part that's because we know that the physiology of stress, the basic stress response, is incompatible with the physiology of self-control. I recall some famous experiments with monkeys who were given either a cloth or a wire pseudomob. Yeah, I mean, basically you need to feel some sort of sense of safety and security as a child. And those are really sad, the Harlow's monkey studies. Um, I mean, and none of those monkeys did as well as monkeys who had really caring, actual monkey mothers. But, um, but it is true that you know, anything that you can use, including... Uh, you know, a fake cloth mother for these monkeys, but anything that you can kind of hang on to that gives you a sense of security and safety uh, is going to be helpful. And, and that's one of the reasons why not every kid who goes through a traumatic childhood ends up um, an addict. There are lots of ways that as we go through life, we can start to find our own sense of security. Uh, religion plays a big role in this. So does um, school can play a big role in that for many kids, that there's some area of their life where they feel both successful um, and safe and cared for. And certainly willpower can certainly be boosted by having a community of people who are also trying to achieve similar aims. Yes, absolutely. Um, there's a lot of uh, interesting work right now trying to connect faith communities, faith-based communities, to willpower challenges and, and uh, healthy living. Um, there's some interesting programs now trying to bring together these already established communities, these tight social networks, um, and, and start to figure out sort of what your deep values have to do with things like exercising regularly and, and eating right uh, or maybe taking care of the environment. Um, and I think this is actually a really smart way to go, and you don't have to be religious for this to work. Um, but any time we're trying to make a behavior change, uh, it seems like it's much more effective to figure out how that behavior already connects to something you care about rather than um, – defining it as, as just, you know, being uh, a, a difficult thing that you want to do or something that someone else told you you should do, that your doctor is nagging you about. Um, if, there's, if there's a way to connect it to something you already deeply care about, you're going to be so much more likely to be able to, um, to find the motivation that you need when it gets difficult. I think certainly anyone who's been on a diet certainly finds it a little bit easier to diet with uh, somebody else pays to have company. Well, not only that, but there's uh, this whole other area of research suggesting that willpower can be contagious, that when people are working towards goals together, they actually feed off of each other's willpower and each other's motivation. Um, and the same is true for temptation. If you're spending a lot of time around friends and family and coworkers who, uh, who have a certain tendency to indulge in something or who don't share your goal, you can actually really pick up uh, their motivations and their temptations. And... Um, this is just one way that our willpower um, turns out not to be so much a matter of individual control as we think it is. Um, so you certainly spent a lot of time looking at the, the science of willpower. What's the most fascinating thing you think that you've discovered uh, regarding the science of willpower? The thing that has turned out to be the most meaningful um, to my students in the willpower class and to, to people who've been writing me emails from the book um, is the research around self-compassion. Most of us have a, a strong tendency to be hard on ourselves, uh, especially around the willpower challenge we think we need to fix. And uh, we have this belief that guilt and shame are really motivating. Um, but the science is abundantly clear that the harder you are on yourself for any sort of willpower setback, whether it's blowing your diet or blowing your budget or, or yelling at your kids, um, that when you lose control, it is so important in that moment to be kind to yourself 
and to remember um, how fundamentally human it is to struggle with these issues, um, that the, the more you feel guilt, the more you feel shame, the more you think it says something about who you are and what's fundamentally wrong with you, the more likely you are to give up on your goals, to not re-engage with the next opportunity to recover, uh, and the more likely you are to actually turn back to that very same behavior to try to escape the feelings of guilt and shame. And so I think that's been the, uh, the most meaningful science for a lot of people because it's not a message that we hear very often. And uh, just changing the way that we relate to our own failures can actually be a tremendous source of self-control. Do you think there are cultural differences in terms of how people approach willpower? Well, it's certainly true that in different cultures, uh, different aspects of willpower are more emphasized. Um, so in, in some East Asian cultures, it may be considered much more important to um, to really control your emotion expressions. You know, here in the West, we tend to say, you know, you got to let it all out. Don't don't hold it in and don't don't hide what you're feeling. Whereas in other cultures, that particular aspect of willpower is much more valued, the ability not to explode your emotions onto other people um, and to, to really um, kind of control your personal preferences and your, your personal feelings for the, the good of the group. Uh, here in the West, we're more likely to really admire the people who are able to pursue what they want and overcome very difficult odds in order to get what they want. You know, the, the athletes who overcome great obstacles uh, or the businessmen who, who rise to the very top. I think that's an interesting aspect of willpower because um, the people who we put up as our willpower role models will probably have a very strong uh, effect on, on how it is that we, that we model ourselves. But overall, then, the, the mechanisms in the brain, though, are just similar, just the way uh, different cultures approach them are, are different. Yeah. To my knowledge, there's no evidence that willpower is working differently in, in you know, one culture than another. Um, it's basically this idea that we have two versions of ourselves, and our brains are equipped to shift back and forth between this version of yourself that is very focused on immediate survival and immediate reward and the version of you that has the big picture in mind, whether that's thinking about what other people in your group want and need or whether it's predicting the long-term consequences of an individual choice. Are there limits to the amount of willpower we can attain? Probably. I mean, I think that's an open question. And I think probably the, the most fruitful question for people to ask themselves is um, whether they feel like they're living a life that's really consistent with their values uh, rather than whether they've kind of achieved maximum willpower uh, to, to sort of control every possible impulse. Um, and that's one of the, the shifts that, that um, I think the science is making and that as individuals when we make it's very effective to start to think about um, identifying really key values that might guide our choices um, and to think about being as, uh, having as much integrity as we can in those choices rather than thinking about having to control every specific uh, thought or impulse that we have. Well, it is a fascinating field. It's certainly a fascinating book. Final words regarding willpower. The biggest thing I, I hope people can take away from this book is first the understanding of how human it is to struggle with procrastination and temptation and, and all these other issues around willpower. We do tend to think that it reveals something about what's wrong with us rather than the, the nature of the brain, the, the dual nature of, of being human. 
Um, and just understanding that common humanity actually gives people more willpower. It's when we, when we think that we are unique in our willpower challenges uh, that we end up um, having a hard time finding our willpower. And so I think that that's really the first place to start is to understand that everyone shares these challenges um, and that the willingness to look at how you fail the willingness to look at our own cognitive biases and our own habits and, and how stress interferes with willpower. Uh, it's by looking at, at how we fail that we actually end up gaining a lot of the strength and insights that we need to succeed. The new book is called The Willpower Instinct, How Self-Control Works, Why It Matters, and What You Can Do to Get More of It. And Dr. McGonigal, I want to thank you very much for joining us today on the Grox Science Show. Thank you. And you were just listening to Dr. Kelly McGonigal discussing the advocacy. This is the Grox Science Show. Coming up in just a few minutes, it's the Grokatron 5000, so stay tuned. It's not easy having yourself a good time. It's time to play the game, the Grokatron 5000. It is our supercomputer, formerly known as Deep Blue. And today the Grokatron 5000 has chosen the topic, the soul is willing, but the body is weak. So for the following five individuals, the Grokatron 5000 would like to know if you think their soul is willing or their body is weak, and maybe a little reason why. Dr. McGonigal, are you ready to play the game? Yes, I don't even understand it in the least, but I'm ready. <laughs> well, that's our game then. So, uh, Person number one, soul is willing or the body is weak. It's the golfer Tiger Woods. Am I choosing between the two? Yes, uh, wh whatever you think uh, best is the best descriptor of, of uh, Tiger Woods. <laughs> Why is that? Um, I mean, I think that's a, he's actually a great example of how when you're expending willpower in one area of your life, uh, you can have some, some great willpower catastrophes in another area of your life. I think he's a perfect example of the limits of willpower when you're under enormous stress, enormous pressure, and very focused. Um, often minor impulses like the desire to have sex with people you maybe you shouldn't be, um, they become even stronger and more tempting. Tapped out his uh, willpower reserves. Mm -hmm. uh, number two, it's the uh, real estate mogul Donald Trump. I, I don't even know where to begin with that. <laughs> is there a third choice? Uh, you can add a third choice if you want. How about the mind is confused? <laughs> okay. <laughs> At least judging on it based on his show. <laughs> uh, okay, well, moving on then. Number three, uh, it's the uh, uh, self-help guru, Tony Robbins. Does he have any willpower challenges? I think you're revealing the limits of scientist knowledge of pop culture a little bit here. <laughs> I, I have absolutely no idea. Number four, actor Charlie Sheen. The body is weak. Yeah. That's, you know, there's a, an, another interesting thing often comes up around celebrities is this idea of moral licensing, that when people are, um, people constantly are reminded of their own power or their own value or their own um, sort of positive side, it becomes uh, much more difficult for them to understand their shadow side. 
Uh, and we see this all the time, not just in celebrities. We've had a recent major sex scandal in the yoga world. Um, and it seems like when you're in a position where people are constantly feeding you uh, praise, people start to no longer question their own negative behavior as much. And uh, it's called moral licensing because when you feel like a good person, you feel licensed to do pretty much anything that you want to do. And I think we see a lot of that in the world of, of um yeah, entertainment, politics, sports, even religion, where people are kind of giving themselves permission to be the worst version of themselves without feeling any kind of regret or remorse about it. All right. Finally, number five, souls willing or the body is weak. It's the president of the United States, Barack Obama. Oh, I'm going to say the soul is willing. <laughs> he has got a lot of willpower, I have to say. He, he appears to, unless there are some secrets in the closet we haven't seen yet, I have been very impressed with his ability to control any number of willpower challenges. All right. Well, Dr. McGonagall, I want to thank you very much for sticking around playing your game. Again, talking about your book, The Willpower Instinct, How Self-Control Works, Why It Matters, and What You Can Do to Get More of It. Thank you very much for your time. Okay, take care. And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at groks.net. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.groks.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.